Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work, the global authority on workplace culture. I'm your host, Rula Amiri, Content Director at Great Place to Work. On this episode, I speak with Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer at Deloitte. Jen tells us her burnout story, the signs she ignored, and she dives into questions you should ask your people today so you don't miss early signs of burnout. The question today for you, listener, is do you have a work best friend? I really hope your answer is yes and you have a go to person at work. We talked about why friendships are so important to our mental health and the effect they have on productivity and retention. Are you standing, Jen? I am standing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You prefer it? I really like this. I don't even have a chair in my office anymore. I got rid of the chair completely. So Because you never use it. Do you remember yeah. a few years ago where there was that, like it was all the hubaloo, the dangers of sitting? Yeah, sitting for new like, smoking, yeah. Yes, I'm like, oh my gosh. Got to keep it moving. I got to do my meditation. There's so many things. All the things, yes. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the things. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. I've been looking forward to having you on to talk about well-being and mental health um, because it's not only what you focus on at Deloitte as Chief Well-Being Officer, but I know it's something extremely personal to you. To start us off, for our listeners who may not know your story, take us back to the day or morning when you said, you know, I can't do this anymore, I'm burnt out. What was your job at the time and what happened to you that day or in the you know weeks or months preceding that day? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. People often ask me, what does burnout look like? Or what are the signs or what are the symptoms? And to to be honest with you, I think that I knew, well, I did know that there was something wrong with me, but I did not ask for help. I did not really even admit it to myself or others, because in my mind, asking for help or admitting that, you know, I couldn't keep up in the world that I was living and working in meant that, that there was something wrong with me or that I was a failure. So I processed many of the symptoms of burnout as failure. And so I had the mindset of, well, I'm just going to push through, I'm going to power through, I'll, you know, rest on the weekend, or I'll take a vacation you know, when the project's over or things will get better when, you know, kind of that mindset of like, I'll do all of these things in the future, but right now I'm going to dig in. And I guess you could say when never came or maybe when did come, <laughs> you know, because I, I woke up one morning and, you know, I was alive and I could get out of bed and feed myself breakfast and things like that. But I really could not and had not been engaging in work or life and and in any meaningful way. Um, I didn't have any motivation. I was exhausted all the time. My emotions were all over the place, either really high or really low. You know, my personal relationships had suffered. I didn't make time for them. I didn't value them or prioritize them in the way that I should. And certainly my work had suffered and people at work noticed and and would reach out. I, I had several people reach out and, and ask me if everything was okay. Obviously, I had my spouse, my husband, 
you know, um, but nobody ever listens to their spouse. So he couldn't have possibly understood what was going on. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, my body and brain kind of said, okay, you're not going to do something about it. So we're going to make it so bad for you that you have no choice. And that's really what happened. I, I was forced to take a step back and take time off from work and address burnout and address the struggles that I was having with my mental health. And that was really hard for me because, you know, I grew up an athlete. I played soccer. I prided myself on the fact that no matter what else was going on in my life or at work, that I got to the gym for an hour a day. And that was my definition of well-being. <laughs> it didn't matter if I slept two hours or three hours or didn't do anything else for myself. I got to the gym for an hour a day. So I, I think that was a big reckoning and a real realization that real holistic health and well-being is far more than just your physical health or getting to the gym an hour a day. As a matter of fact, some days it means not going to the gym. <laughs> and so that, you know, that kind of personal journey and personal discovery really led me down the path of saying, wow, I, I want to help others not get to where I got because we shouldn't have to get to where I got. We shouldn't have to feel like we can't ask for help or that there aren't others that would be willing to help us. And there aren't, you know, there are resources available in most organizations that can help us. And so I really wanted to take that on and help other people. Um, Ariana Huffington says that burnout shouldn't be the price that we pay for success. And that's absolutely true. It kind of has become a bit of my mantra as well. And so, you know, long story short, I actually went to my leader and mentor and I thought that I was going to have to resign from working at Deloitte because we didn't have somebody in the role that I currently have. Um, we have great programs, tools, resources, all the things we do to care for our people and provide for them. But, but we didn't have, I didn't have the vision of like, oh, this could actually be a role or like a thing, you know? And it was my mentor who said, well, you're not going anywhere. You're gonna stay right here because if you need this, there's a whole bunch of other people that need it too. Um, and that's really, I mean, it was more her vision in many ways to send me down the path of starting to develop a business case of what well-being at Deloitte truly looks like and, and truly means. And that was nine years ago. And I, I mean, I, Deloitte just continues to impress me in terms of the commitments that we've made to really understand and care for our people and that they're, that these are real issues. And you know, if you employ human beings, you have to care for their well-being. It's not it's not a nice to have. It's not a good to have. It's not it's a non-negotiable. It is a baseline requirement for today's workforce and probably always should have been. <laughs> right. But in the past, it was that mentality of you were just going to power through. Yeah. And, or that, you know, work is work and life is life. And you deal with all of those things outside of work. Well, now we're kind of in this space for many people where work and life are integrated or even sitting on top of each other, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and so you can't really separate the person from the work and we shouldn't because human beings don't work that way. It's not natural to think that way. And I think that it, you know, in many ways kind of maybe led to where we are now, right? Is that understanding that human beings don't 
split themselves in half. We don't show up for work one way, even though we try and show up at home another way, right? <laughs> um, that's not healthy. <laughs> right. I think even trying, if if someone thinks they have to try, that's a sign. That's a yellow flag. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, something's not quite right. So since your position has been created, and of course, after the pandemic, the focus on well-being is part of our mainstream awareness now. The Surgeon General last year, I think it was for the first time, you know, put out a report on the impact of the workplace on our health, for for better, for worse, and that toxic workplaces are hazardous to our health. You know, the impact of bad sleep, chronic stress, long hours, everything you described, that can lead to real physical problems like heart disease and depression. So the need for well-being support is undeniable, always has been, but now we, you know, more top of mind. We have the we have the data. We have a lot more data now to show that that's real. <laughs> exactly. Which is great. But you can't create well-being programs if you don't have the culture to support them. So there's a business case for it for sure. But if you can't take advantage of well wellness programs at your company, you know, what is the point? So for companies who want to support their people, what programs help them succeed and what should they avoid? Yeah, it's, it's a great question um, and a little bit of a loaded question, I think. <laughs> so I, I think what we're seeing now um, is that there are many companies that do want to support their workforce and they are investing in wellness programs with the best of intentions. And then, you know, people aren't taking advantage of the programs. And so they're kind of throwing their hands up and saying, well, we invested in it and people aren't interested. And so you know, my answer to that, and I know when when we talk with clients and others at Deloitte, it's not that the people aren't interested in it. It's usually that there is something underlying in the culture. There's some reason that people don't feel permissioned to take advantage of it, right? And so I think the first step, even before investing in these types of programs, is to look at longstanding cultural norms that may have made a lot of sense when they became norms (laughs) and in terms of our behaviors and how we do work and how we engage with one another, right? Culture is made up of the behaviors of the people that work within that organization. And many norms are perceived, many of them are real, but that's usually what takes, you know, what is what is keeping people from taking advantage of the things that companies provide to them. And so, you know, what could that look like? I mean, I think the number one and lowest cost thing that you can do, because there's kind of no cost to it other than engaging with people and and getting a little bit of their time is asking your workforce, hey, what do you want? What do you need? What would be meaningful? What are the barriers in the way of you doing these things for yourself or taking advantage of the things that the organization is providing you, right? And so as leaders, understanding what those barriers are you can then decide, well, is that a barrier we can remove? And if we can't, are there ways that, are there ways around it? Are there things that we can do to overcome it? But it's really powerful to engage your workforce in, in this type of conversation, because even if you don't do exactly what they ask for you to do, the simple fact that you asked them what they thought and what they needed <laughs> goes a really long way. And so I think a lot of times leaders are like, well, I, what if I ask and then I can't do what they ask me? And I'm like, well, that's okay. You can just explain to them why that's not 
you know, something that you can do right now and continue to keep that two way dialogue open. Right. And so it really is about communication and relationships before you start to invest in these programs to make sure that people feel empowered and permission to take advantage of them. And the best way to do that is to have those conversations. I love that answer. It's it's just by the sheer gesture of asking, even just like, how are you doing really? Like, how are you? And that can open a conversation that is wellness and care. You don't always need a 10-step wellness initiative. You can just check in like you do with people outside of work, ask them how they're doing. And, and, you know, that even works, you know, we're talking about at the company level, right? I mean, that even works very well and very powerfully at the team level, right? You can have those same conversations with your team. What does everybody need? How can we support one another? What do we want our team behaviors and norms to look like? You know, and people are like, okay, well, what are team behaviors and norms? Things like what are our standard working hours, right? Especially if we're not co-located and we're working across time zones, What can we expect from one another? And how do we get in touch with each other outside of those quote unquote standard working hours? Because that's, if you leave it up to email, that's what actually keeps people connected to email, (laughs) right? Because of the fear of missing out. FOMO is very real. Email has created that for us. Thank you, email. (laughs) You know, but, but even having those conversations clear, Brené Brown says clear is kind, right? So clear is kind about expectations around work and how we work together. And that can be done at an organizational level and at a team level in very powerful ways. Let's talk a little bit about remote work. So many people are quick to tout remote work as the solve for burnout culture, but there are real challenges that come with remote work. Yes, remote workers, you know, the research shows have a better work-life balance, but it can be lonely and loneliness can affect, you know, your engagement, productivity, happiness. There's an epidemic of loneliness in this country. Depending on the study you read, at least half of Americans are lonely. Mm -hmm. And it has the same risk as uh, smoking for heart disease. I had to double check the stat, but and you probably know this, Jen, loneliness is as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So any tips on how companies can counter the remote-induced loneliness, whether that's day-to-day through a virtual connections or occasionally throughout the year, bringing your people together in person? Yeah. I mean, I I personally believe, you know, and and we're seeing lots of swings, right? And I, you know, whether it's everybody's going back to the office, no one's going to the office, we're somewhere in between four-day work week. I mean, there's all this stuff kind of wrapped up, I think, in this reaction or potentially like overreaction. I mean, I think it's all good because it's showing that Companies are trying to figure this out. I personally believe that there is and will always be a need for human beings to come together in the workplace, (laughs) in person, right? In real life. (laughs) Like we need to engage in conversation, in work, in fun, in all of those things in the workplace with other human beings in real life. And the reason for that is because when we're remote, we then have a stronger connection with those people. We've connected on a on a higher level, if you will. We know a little bit about who they are. Um, you know, I mean, and can you accomplish that in fully remote? Yes, you can. And there's great examples of that. But it's a lot harder. And, you know, human beings were born and, you know, we're born for connection as, you know, that's just in our DNA. It's who we are. And technology, you know, it's interesting because, 
I wrote a book with uh, a co-author at Deloitte on Phillips um, called Work Better Together. And we, we started writing the book pre-pandemic. And the premise of the book is really, in many ways, how technology has impacted our ability to develop deep and meaningful relationships. And so we started writing the book a couple of months before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit. And the only thing that most of us had to keep us connected to other human beings was our technology. And so we were like, uh, okay, what do we do? What, what, what do we do now? Right. But it was a great, you know, I mean, it was it, it, at the moment, it was kind of like, uh oh, what do we do now? But it was kind of a great reckoning to say there is definitely a time and place for technology and there's a time and place for in person, real human connection. I think that what people go to the office for is changing and needs to change. Right. And so people go to the office to have their human needs met. And one of those human needs, the biggest of those human needs is human connection. It's also how we learn on the job, right? I mean, that's really important. And can it be done in a digital environment? It can, but it can be accelerated and done better when there is also in-person time. And so I'm not going to prescribe what that looks like for every organization, but it is remote work there's positives and there's negatives, but we do know that fully remote work has exacerbated the, the loneliness crisis. I think that the Surgeon General came out yesterday or earlier this week and actually said that it's a public health epidemic. It's a real issue and digital connection is connection, but it's not human connection. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. And so it is connection. It's not not connection, but it's not human connection. When I started at Great Place to Work, it's fully my first fully remote job last January. I love the role. I love my boss. I love the company and the mission. I'm, I'm engaged. But, you know, something felt missing. And it was that social connection. So for me, I joined a co-working space. Um, and that gave me what I was looking for, just what you're saying. I've heard you talk about the serendipitous moments that happen in person that are missing in the virtual world. And that's what I found there. I just needed to see humans chit chat, like that water cooler talk. At Deloitte, we call those the moments that matter. And so we encourage our teams and our team leaders to come together at those moments that matter. And that looks different for every team throughout the firm. And so we really empower our people and our, and our team leaders to make those decisions for themselves based on the type of work they're doing, project milestones, things like that, but recognizing that it is incredibly valuable to us as individual human beings, but also to the talent experience. In that same vein, let's talk about the importance of friendship at work um, and how that can help our mental health. According to Gallup, only two in 10 people feel like they have a best friend at work. Again, there's so many stats, but that's one of them, which is pretty dismal. And those who do, you know, they tend to stay longer at their companies. They perform better. Why is that? Why is it so important to have that go-to person at work? Because we spend a huge percentage of our waking hours <laughs> either at work or working, right? Whether it's at a physical location or remote. And we just got done saying how important human connection is, right? And so if you spend a huge portion of your time at work and working, you know, feeling isolated or feeling that you don't have that one go-to person that you can just be like, oh my gosh, can you believe this happened, right? Or what do you think about this? Or how would you present this? Or what do you know about this, right? 
And we talk about this in the book, Work Better Together, too. I mean, there's there's different types of relationships at work. And, you know, some of them are friendships and some of them are for utility. And not everybody has to be your best friend at work. And that's okay. We can treat each other with respect as human beings. But it is really, really important, I think, to find that one, two, three people that are just your people that when you need something, when you need to vent, when you're having a moment, <laughs> when you need some advice, when you need somebody to listen to you rehearse, that's going to understand what you're saying, right? I mean, we can all rehearse things with our friends and family, but they might not understand the context or the culture, right? And so I think that it's really, really important. And all of the research shows, like you said, I mean, unfortunately, the research shows that many people don't have a friend at work, but for those that do, their level of engagement, their level of happiness, they're more likely to stay with an organization, they're more engaged, their work product is better, right? Because we are meant to connect with other human beings. When we, it's, it's a sense of belonging, right? If I connect with another human being, I feel like I belong at the organization or on, on, on that team. And that's what we all want. We all want to know that we belong somewhere. We want to know that we're accepted. We want to know that we're seen. And so that's why you need to have at least a couple of friends at work. You don't have to like everyone, <laughs> but you need a few friends. <laughs> and that supersedes where you work. This goes beyond remote and office or anything. Absolutely. Do you have a work best friend? Yeah, I think I have a few work best friends. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I've been at Deloitte for 22 years. So I have, I actually have a lot of, I have a lot of friends at work and I will tell you, you know, people are like, wow, you've been at Deloitte for 22 years. That's a really long time. What keeps you there? It's the people, you know, Deloitte is like any other company. It's an organization made up of people and it's the people that keep you there. Just like every, all the other relationships in our life. Switching gears. The next few questions are to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Um, I've been looking admiringly at your books behind you. Um, for our listeners, she has, Jen has uh, a colorful assortment of books in a, in a gorgeous bookcase on the wall. So is there a book or a podcast or both that you'd recommend to your peers to check out and why? Well, okay. Can I be self-serving here? I mean, of course, Work Better Together that Ann Phillips and I wrote and I am the host of a podcast that's Work Well by Deloitte, where um, I get the great honor to interview amazing guests to talk about all things well-being at work. So check those two out. But without being self-serving, gosh, so many great books. It's way like this is why I'm surrounded by books, because I, I don't know, I, I can't pick one. But I would say the one that, you know, if I had to, right, you're forcing me to, right? <laughs> And also, I'm just curious, when do you have time? When do you read? I Okay. So Edith Egger wrote, she's written a couple books, but the book, The Choice is a book that has had a significant impact on me. And it's all about, she's a Holocaust survivor. And so she talks about her experience in the Holocaust and what they all went through, what she went through and how we all have a choice to respond and, you know, what, how we respond kind of in our own mind to all of the stressors and all of the things that are kind of going on in our external lives, but reminding us that we have, you know, we, we still, no matter what other people are doing to us, we still have a choice in how 
we react and how we respond. And quite frankly, that's the only thing we can control because we can't control anyone else. Right. And so but her story is incredibly powerful. And it's just one of those books that is always somewhere around me and is nicely worn and dog eared and highlighted. And, <laughs> you know, when I'm having those anxious moments where I just, you know, need some inspiration, it's the one that I go to and and pick up. Let me see. When do I have time to read? I Well, I'm a book nerd. I'm an introvert. <laughs> and I spend much of my working days talking with other people. And so reading for me is, you know, one of my recovery strategies. And so I'm never just reading one book. I'm always, you know, reading, juggling, you know, a stack of books. And so I, you know, I read whenever Right. Whenever I get a chance, I'll pick up a book. And even if it's just to read a few pages, I try to read before bed at night or journal um, before bed at night just to kind of get myself into a mode where sleep comes easy and my mind <laughs> is as clear as it can be, although that's easier some days than others. And you asked about podcasts. You know, I'm actually not like a huge podcast listener. I kind of dabble in and out of them. And maybe it's because I have my own podcast, but Hidden Brain is a great podcast. This is a great podcast. I'm speaking on it, right? So everybody should listen to this podcast on a regular basis. <laughs> Along those lines, you mentioned kind of winding down at the end of the day, making time to read. You know, you're naturally an introvert and you you have to, you know, uh, extend a lot of yourself during the day. So then when you're not working, there's some quiet time. Um, what else do you do to keep a sense of well-being for yourself? Exercise for me, exercise, sleep, you know, eat, move, sleep, find joy is Jen's framework for, <laughs> is Jen's framework for, for well-being. And so I'm not a perfect eater by any stretch of the imagination, but I do try to fuel my body with some new, some nutritious food every day and make time for that. Right. I, I really try not to, you know, stand in front of my laptop or sit in front of my laptop and you know, shovel the food into my mouth, but really take those moments to step away from work or whatever it is I'm doing and enjoy the food or just enjoy that moment away from the digital technologies that rule our life. Um, movement and exercise are really, really important to me. Fortunately, I have a Jack Russell Terrier who is very active and loves to go on walks. And so that's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's not a it's not something that I can say no to because she's got to go for walks. Um, but exercise is also really important to me because I do live with anxiety and um, exercise and sleep are the two primary ways that you know help me manage that on a day in, day out basis. And then finding joy. If you ever get an email from me or exchange emails, you'll notice that my signature sign off says find joy <laughs> because I think it's really easy in this world that we live in. There's so much uncertainty um, and so much change and so much that's going on And the 24 hour news cycle of bad news doesn't help. But there's still a lot of things great that are going on in the world and there's a lot of really good people. And so I try to seek out those news stories. And if all else fails, I go on YouTube and watch, you know, videos of cute puppies. <laughs> and that brings me joy. <laughs> I loved your, I love the device. I love what you said about mindful eating. That's something I've tried to implement this year. I learned that it's not just the act of eating, but but how we're eating and, and stepping away from uh, the laptop. So your brain knows it's time for rest, not a 
time for fight or flight. So I think that's great. And it's great just in terms of slowing your eating down so that your brain and your stomach have a chance to communicate with one another. <laughs> right. There's that brain, gut brain connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that the vagus nerve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm scratching my brain. Yeah. I had <laughs> I did a deep dive in that one. I also uh kind of my body gave me signals to to change some things up so I had to be more mindful in my life. And that was a game changer. So those are some of the changes I've also had to make. What is the best piece of career advice you'd go back and give your younger self, younger Jen? What what would you tell her? Oh, that's a great question. You know, nothing, probably nothing is ever as bad as you think it is and nothing is ever as good as you think it is, but, you know, to kind of, you know, stay the the middle of the road, right. And do your best and let things play out and probably believe more in, in myself and ask for help. I think that that is really, really important. You know, we, we started the podcast where I talked about my fear of asking for help and how that would be perceived. Um, And so I think, you know, especially in those moments of struggle, um, ask for help, but asking for help is a sign of strength, um, not a sign of weakness. I agree. I agree. I have also had to learn that one (laughs) the hard way, but sometimes there's no other way to learn things. Yeah. Right. You just have to go through it. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a five-star rating, write a review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can stream this and previous episodes wherever podcasts are available.